0: Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guest nights adventures throughout the world of live and local music. My name is Mark Sterry. I'm a 20-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota Metro music scene. Check out marksterrymusic.net for upcoming shows, news, and info. If you'd like to toss a buck or two in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash podcast. I'd like to welcome the newest... Now, barking member of the St. Paul's Stary Clan, Barley May, copper the Wonder Gold's new sister. This week's episode, number 321, dropping today on Tuesday, December 14th, 2021, is part two of two with keyboardist and musical director of the gold platinum selling group Lips Inc. Known for the smash hit Funky Town, Ivan Rapowitz. We talk the creation of Funky Town, mailbox money, funk music, and more. Enjoy the conversation. So, Ivan be doing this podcast and and being around the Twin Cities music scene and the, very fascinated with the history of the Twin Cities music scene, uh, in my view, I, I kind of, I think I, I asked about you about this and I saw you last time, the folklore around the song Funky Town. Um, I've heard people say they played on the album, they didn't play on the album, they did this, they did that, they had the keyboard, you know, they had, so... Who was a part of the recording of the song "Funky Town"?
1: Well, I how think
0: did that session go?
1: There were, there's a lot of folklore. You're right. About, <laughs> I've run into people that said they were the keyboard player. You know? Oh my god! Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the the credits around the album, you can look at the album and see the credits for who played, and uh, I think. The only the the main guitar player, uh, Ria Pelli. I didn't even know him. Uh, I don't know what happened to him, but he, but you know Bobby Schutzer ended up going on the tour with it, and I think he did play on some other albums. But pretty much every in the group, everybody in the group, at some point contributed to different parts of you know making that a success. Uh, but really, the guy that really made it happen and played everything with Steve Greenberg. Okay, um, and you produced it? No, no, he produced it. He really? Produ- he wrote it, he produced it, he played the instruments, he basically, uh, a- up to a certain point of his ability to be able to play. Uh, the, the funny thing is, uh, the reason that Cynthia had to sing the song so high, which probably was part of the success of the song, was because Steve wrote the song in C, and did not want to change the key because it would be hard musically to to change all the parts in different keys, which I got. But, uh, and so she ended up having to stretch to her, you know, to her limits to really, you know, make it happen. And it's part of what the success was, just the sound. Uh, But, you know, David Rifkin contributed a lot because he engineered it. And he went on to do Johnny Lang and many other people and moved to, I think he's in LA now, but he, uh, He actually recorded one of my first uh, recordings way back on somewhere on Broadway Avenue, a little studio. And it was a song that I had written. I don't even remember the name of it now, but uh, he was the guy, the engineer at the time. But he would listen back. The the way he would see if he got a good mix is he would listen back on a little transistor radio because back then everything was radio. So... If it sounded good coming through that little radio of his that he had in the studio, then he knew he had a good mix, which I thought was pretty funny. But, I mean, today you would never, you know. Wow. It's a whole different world. When you
0: were recording or working on that first record, um, Mouth to Mouth, Funky Town, did you you think that was going to be a hit?
1: No. Furthest thing from my mind. Are you serious? Well, I thought the use of the vocorder, I had heard that before Herbie Hancock started to use the vocorder. I thought it was a little gimmicky. I thought the song was very, you know, I mean, it had some good parts. I mean, if you dissect the song, it did kind of work. It did work. One part worked and the other part. its It wasn't as simple as it sounded, you know, because to really do it right, you had to really play all the parts right. So uh, even though it seemed like it was a really simple song, there was a little more to it. Uh, but to me, it was like disco was over. I wasn't into disco at all. You know, I wasn't playing disco. I was, just came out of an R&B band that I had. And we were playing, like I said, Marvin Gaye and, and all sorts of, you know, ghetto tunes. And and uh, that's what I was into. And, and you know, listen, Lip Sync and Funky Town was not funky. I mean, in the sense of funk, what, what real funk is. But for, you know, what can I say? For white people and a lot of all sorts of ethnic people, really liked it. It was a catchy tune, and they liked it. Did I think it was going to be anything? No. I was happy to get paid for studio time. Uh, so uh, there were other results that came of that, uh, and you know, this song. Um, what there were only four songs on. Yeah, the, yeah. The one one I didn't play on was Rocket because Rocket. that came out that. Greenberg did that on his own. That wasn't even on the album till later. Uh, he just—that was his first exploration into disco music. Uh, but uh, there were some good results that came out of that for me. Uh, Polygram Records put me uh, on salary as a songwriter for uh, for a while, a little year or so, and I'd get a check every, you know, every two weeks from New York mailbox and, money yeah oh, mailbox the- money and i was like wow this is great you know this and uh then uh, stevie and i uh produced uh ronnie law's sister uh, deborah law's i don't know if you know who ronnie law's is. the law's family hubert law's Flautist, jazz Flautist; ronnie law's saxophone player and deborah law's who was a real sweetheart and uh the manager for the commodores at the time came to us and uh steve had a little studio over um I don't know, over in Minnetonka or Golden Valley. And uh, we went in there with Deborah Laws, and that was, it got on the R&B charts. It was a song that uh, Steve and I wrote, and uh, we did a couple with her. And uh, so Polygram, you know, I got was getting the mailbox checks, and uh, still some, some uh, royalties, from funky Town for artist royalties, you know, per- performance royalties. And, you know, yeah. occasionally and I've gotten checks anywhere, you know, not big checks, but they were bigger before, but now the streaming took over. So they're very, very minor now. But, uh, you know, I've got checks for like 13 cents, you know, from, from <laughs> Bulgaria, you know. <laughs> they, you know, yes. streaming. From Persia? You know, yeah, from Persia. Yeah, well, having the Persian. <laughs> You know, um, oh,
0: I cover that song almost every show. I learned it, uh, I think probably after I met you the first time, I went and learned the song. I do a very folky, fool on a stool campfire version of it, but those the bridges and all that, but people still love it. I'll play it tonight when I play in, in Hugo. They they still love that song, they like to sing it, um, looping it on the guitar. I skip because then if I pull out a dinner, do the little licks and stuff. Which I usually hack up anyway. For the folks learning this song, it's a tricky little bastard.
1: It is. It's not, I mean, it, you can't just listen to it once. You got to sit down and say, oh, that's where it goes. You know, I mean, it's got, it goes a couple places, which are kind of unique. But uh, it was not, you know, the, I mean, I remember my cousin uh, from Israel came here uh, right, you know, right in the, right after, around the Funky Town uh, era. And she came here and says, oh, her, her son wants her to buy some albums in the U.S. And I looked and said, well, I can help you. What albums? And number one on the list was Funky, Funky Town by Lip Sync, the album, Mouth to Mouth. Mouth to Mouth. And I said, well, I can help you with this one. <laughs> and I had, I had everybody in the band autograph it for him. And he was like, yeah, like what? Are you kidding me? You know? Uh, so it was a fun era. It was a really fun era. And... Nice.
0: So you, you bring up funk a lot. And I love funk. That's one of my favorite styles of music. Just off the top of your head, who would you say would be your Mount Rushmore of funk artists?
1: Well, uh, if you're talking about rock funk, I think Earth, Wind & Fire I think would be one of the all-time great... Uh <laughs> talking about laid back funk, I'd say, you say Curtis Mayfield, you know, if you want to talk about beautiful funk, you talk about, uh, Donny Donnie Hathaway, you know, uh, if you want to talk about, um, um, there's just some down and dirty, you know, you got, you got, uh, um, who's the guy that did Midnight Hour, uh, Wilson Pickett, Wilson Pickett, you know, you got guys like that. I mean, there's a lot of different types of funk. If you listen to my instrumental albums, you know, I think there's a lot of subtle funk in there. I mean, everything, you know, I pl- I can't play anything that doesn't have some sort of uh laid-back beat and, you know, uh, in it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's jazz funk artists and there's guys like Jeff Lorber who are, you know, really good instrumentalists. Um,
0: Thanks to Clyde for Road tripping with me to Sioux Falls, I'm back this week to pick up Copper, the Wonder Gold's new sister, Barley May. Doggy road trips are always a blast to my black Jeep Cherokee I got from ID Chrysler. Went 250,000 miles my old car, was just too much for the poor thing to take. I found myself looking for a new dream ride, ID Chrysler, and the staff can more help with me choosing a vehicle and willing to work with my, as I call it, musician's credit score. Their philosophy is simple, time-saving, hassle-free, fair price. Check out their inventory at Zombrota at cdjr.com or take the beautiful drive down US 52 to 1900 Roscoe Avenue, Zombrota, Minnesota to visit them in person. Visit Hours are Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m., and Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Check out ID Chrysler's Labroda today. Enjoy a safe winter season full of adventures and memories out in the open road in a new ride. I want to tell you about one of my favorite bars in the Roseville-St. Paul, Minnesota area, the B-Dale Club, located on the corner of Caldwell B. And Dale's motto is, a place for family, a place for friends, a place for fun. And that is the truth. Excited to celebrate my birthday in style with the Tom and Jerry party at the B-Dale Club this Saturday at 6 p.m. Rob, Natalie, Shelley, Tar bar staff, all stay there, at cocktail wizards. As of late, my libation of choice is the classic Greyhound cocktail. And they are to quote 16-time world champion Ric Flair. Hey, Tasty little devils, live music, pool table, pool table, bingo, botch ball tournaments, and much, much more. b has got it all. Stop by for a cold one soon. I'm really like, like, uh, like James Brown, but that's like, a, like hard funk, or I what like would you James call Brown. that? James his
1: Brown, gu- the Godfather of them all, you know.
0: Yeah, his guitar player is like my absolute hero in recent years. Um, Jimmy Nolan, uh, just they, and they, you they, can barely find a photo of him online, mm-hmm. any kind of bio on him. But there's like one concert where you see how just incredible he is in that simple, apparently simple style, which is not. But, but uh, that is just, it's changed my life discovering that guy.
1: Well, He laid it down. I mean, and was he playing a lot of sixths? Uh, Just, just that guitar sound. Uh, Talking about other artists who are, I don't know if you, I guess you'd call funky, uh, who I got a chance to uh, become friends with, uh, and uh, met over the last few years uh, is a guitar player that I think is probably one of the best and singers george benson oh there you go and uh oh uh, well, i don't know about four or five years ago i had a mutual uh, mutual friend that was a um cellist for the uh phoenix symphony and that's where george lives and got to know george and i he got a hold of my first album and played it for george and george says wow this is really good he said i'd like to meet this guy and, and by the way who's that guitar player playing on there he's really good i like his playing so, my friend said, uh, hey, you know, George, would like to meet you and your son, Adam. I said, You kidding me? George Benson? I mean, he's like my idol. And, and, uh, so I said, Adam, you want to fly out to Arizona and meet George? I said, It might just be, hi, nice to meet you, and goodbye, but it's worth a chance to meet one of the greatest. And I had been playing his guitar work for my son for many, many years since he was a little kid. I said, This is the guy, you know. And, uh, so we we ended up getting, uh, went over to George's house in Paradise Valley. It's like a sprawling, you know, 20,000 square foot house. You know, he's done very well. And here comes George Benson to the door, barefoot, friendly as can be. Come on in. We sat around there all night drinking his great wine, and uh, he jammed with my son the whole night. He brought out his fancy guitars and and my son had his guitar. He's an artist, uh, he's endorsed by a, a company called Stramberg Guitars out of Sweden. And uh, it was amazing. We spent the whole weekend with George Benson. And since that night or that weekend, uh, I've been back there uh, with my wife, and my son has seen him in other parts of the country, and uh, gotten to be a friend. Matter of fact, Adam just called him the other day because uh, someone he knew found tapes, basement tapes of George Benson and Chet Baker, Uh, and they said, "Can you get this to George Benson? I know you know him." And so my son just called him the other day. George picked up the phone, asked about me, how's the family, how's everything going. And Adam gave him the information about the tapes, and he told him where to, you know, where they can contact him. And so, anyway, as far as ultimate meeting, uh, now I didn't actually jam with Joe. I did play his grand piano in his entryway uh, for a lot big part of the night, and he said, "Man, you make my you make my piano sound really good." That's and and he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. I'll tell you uh, just to, to show you his sense of humor. So he has a big garage with a lot of cars and he likes cars and he has the uh, two door, he had a two door Rolls Royce. Okay. Convertible. And I said, wow, it's really a nice car. You like that car? He says, yeah. He says, man, he said, I used to have a four door Rolls Royce, but every time someone saw me driving it, they thought I was a chauffeur. (laughs) He says, but I'm driving the two door. Nobody thinks I'm a chauffeur. Nice.
0: That's that's a sense. That's a
1: sense of humor. So while we're moving that direction can we
0: talk about your your solo records, your Yvonne records? Uh-huh. you have two of them out um, I have notes, but they're hanging right in the wall so from 2004 uh, 2014, Yvonne and the time minister and the time minister is your son yes you're talking about then your more recent one um, yeah, can you talk about your solo records?
1: Yeah, well, what happened I mean I, I, you know I write a lot of songs and it probably you do the same thing. I have sketchy. Things all over the place. I don't record a lot of them, but I got them in my head, you know. And I, I got, I like this riff, and all over the years, I, you know, and I've written vocal songs, and you know, tried to get one with the, a place with El Giro at one time that he liked, but he, of course, he wanted a writer's credit for it at the time, so it didn't work. But uh, and uh, and and I just never, I knew it would take a lot of time, and i had been running a business for twenty years, uh, but still keeping my hands on the piano and writing. And I finally, I just thought, you know, it's time. I'm gonna do an album. So uh, I set up a little pre-production stuff in my house here, and my studio, and then I thought, well, I'll do the main production at Bobby Schnitzer's studio in Edina. So I really hadn't experienced all the new software, and it was all new to me. This was in 2013, 2014. And, but Bobby did, he was, you know, working, he had a studio, he had people recording all the time there. So I started, uh, I went in there, recorded a couple tunes They sounded good. And, uh, see so, you know, Bobby, I think I'm gonna do a whole album. I got enough material to do like nine songs. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was great and they came out pretty good. And so I got a, uh, uh record promoter, uh, that promotes it to the, uh, terrestrial stations jazz you know smooth jazz stations not many left in the country I think there's that 10 or 120 so I know it's not going to be a big money maker but it did get picked up on billboard charts and it did uh you know it made a little bit of noise and that was kind of nice you know because I was relatively unknown and it's e-von and the reason I the reason I did it is because most places I go out of the country they call me e because Ivan translates to E-Von everywhere, except, except in the U.S., it's Ivan. So I thought, yeah, what the hell, E-Von. So I thought, you know, I'd just come up with something different. I don't know if that was a mistake or not, but it worked uh, for, the, for what I'm doing. And there's just, you know, I realized uh, how much I love doing it. So then I figured, well, I don't want people to think it's just a one-trick one pony here. So I said, I think I'm going to do another album and I had some other material, and so I put another one out, you know, and you know if you've recorded, it's an arduous process. I mean, to get it right in time, you mix it and master it. And, and it, you know, it takes a lot of energy, and it, and it takes a lot of money. You know, it's not cheap. Even though I did, though I did all the pre-production in, in my studio, but by the time I got it into Bobby's studio and want to tweak this and tweak that and re-record this, and, you know, uh, you know it, it, it gets costly, even though he was giving me, a, you know, reasonable, reasonably good deal and he's a good friend uh, so then I did the second one and uh, I that also got some play on billboard and some of the other charts uh, most added to a lot of stations and uh, you know the next step would have been to put a group together and go play jazz clubs around the country you know Dakota type places uh, but that's that's a money loser right there, you know. Because first of all, to get the musicians who are capable of playing at that level, I'd have to pay them. You know, they're not going to leave their family and everything. You know, unless they're getting paid well, and there just isn't any money in it. And there's no money in the streaming, and there's no money in the record sales because people don't buy, you know, CDs unless, except my son's genre, they buy CDs. They want a piece of the rock. They want vinyl. They want CDs. He's, his his band, Arch Echo. They sell stuff every day they're selling merchandise and they're getting streaming royalties and not as much as they should be getting but you know you do a million, a million streams uh, for a thousand dollars on Spotify so and they do get you know hundreds of thousands of streams per song and uh but it's ridiculous so uh so that that was it and you know now then i thought i'd do a vocal album and i don't consider myself a a great singer i could probably sing a song i can sing and i sang in my bands but uh i thought i had a formula for singing that was unique and i just kind of it was too hard on my voice, vocal cords, and I just thought, oh, boy, if I do a whole album of this and people expect me to do this, it's going to be too much. So now I'm back to writing instrumental songs and learning, as we were talking about before, and learning songs I've always wanted to learn by other artists. So
0: You want to talk about Keep the Earth Alive? You did write that song, though, in 2020 for a benefit, right? Uh, not in 2020. I wrote that Quite a while ago. Oh, really? Uh, I just saw the video in 2020 where you you played it. I played it. People donate money.
1: Yes, I played it in honor of Earth Day. Uh, It was a song I wrote with a friend of mine, uh, Deborah Moonstar, uh, wow, a while ago. I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, And she passed away. She worked for Horst and died in a car accident. But uh, I just thought it was the timing was right on that song. And uh, so I just put out a little video singing it, you know. Uh, I just thought it was a timely song. Uh, that's the kind of song never goes away. Yeah. But uh, that's when I wrote the music, and, and DeBoer and I wrote the lyrics together. And uh, she actually was a person that sourced for horse uh, in South America. She sourced product. And so she was pretty earthy, worldly lady and nice lady. It was a big loss. But uh yeah, earth, cool. Keep song. the earth alive. Nice. Yeah, you have uh, you know, pretty much
0: a famous son now with the Arch Echo guitar player Adam, and now they're gonna be touring with Dream Theater. Yeah. You know, Joe uh, uh John Petrucci in the Petrucci, guitar. And he's yep. one of the
1: he's a Jordan you know, Rudash on guitar. Uh, it's on a genius. Piano. What
0: an experience for your son. And then your father they just they made a movie about his life called Remaking a Life in two thousand eleven about your father Sam, about yeah. his harrowing adventure of his life. Um you have an interesting story, Ivan.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Adam's band Arch Echo, uh, they started right here. They did their first song right in the studio right here, uh, with uh Joey ezo the keyboard player. And Adam wrote this song uh called Earthshine. And uh they did a little demo, and I heard it, and I said, "Wow, this is you know I know your genre. It's technically rock metal, but it wasn't metal at all. If you listen to any of their stuff, it's beyond you know anything I've heard in their genre. But that's a genre that that uh, there's even though it's a smaller genre, it's a genre that people are well, like Adam says, his his uh, fans are music nerds, musicians, and one girl. He said, Now one girl has a boyfriend.
0: That is hilarious. And, but
1: he did find that one girl and married her. <laughs>
0: that is hilarious. I know.
1: So, um anyway, they, they right before COVID last February, or the February before, yeah, it was already a while ago, February, right before COVID hit in March. They just got off tour with another group, big group called Periphery, which they were playing all these venues, uh, like uh the Blue Notes, they were playing um uh what's the one? Fillmores they're playing all the Fillmores and the House of Blues around the country. They were playing to like two, three thousand people in their venues, which was the largest crowd they ever played for because they were still hoofing it in vans before that. Uh you know, and they kind of built their following just grassroots, just just by hammering away and putting out just wonderful music. I mean, I don't know if you've listened to any of it, but it's it's incredible, I and mean, the musicianship is unbelievable. I mean, they're all Berkeley grads, but but still, they're writing some great stuff. and And this was a big step for them, the Dream Theater tour. And it's, supposedly, it's going to be in February, it's postponed because of COVID. And uh, you know, a big tour like that, you know, they, they go on a big bus, and they've got a sound man, lighting man, of their own, and they got a you know a guy doing equipment, and they got a big a big nut to crack there. And if one person on that whole tour between them and, Green, and Dream Theater if they get COVID, it's the law. It has to stop. So they still got to pay for the bus. They still got to make all their expenses. So they would lose a ton of money. And Dream Theater also. Um, so, but it was a big. And Dream Theater has not had an opening act in ten years. They don't have opening acts. They don't need an opening act to sell out theaters. And the, the theaters they were playing in were unbelievable. You know, Microsoft Theater in LA. You know, the State Theater here. I mean, beautiful theaters. These are listening rooms. And uh, I thought for Adam's band, Arch Echo, that is a listening band. I mean, it's not a play in a bar, stand around, and just bob your head. This is, because when I saw them at the Iridium Jazz Club, they played two nights there uh, and in New York. And it was like an older crowd, and it was definitely a jazz club, so people were going to hear jazz. But this, was, to them, was a the new jazz. And people sat there, and they were like, had their mouths hanging open. Like, what is this? What am I listening to? And they were they were buying merchandise like crazy. And he said, they never made so much money. He said, because the older crowd, they had more money to spend,
0: you know. Wow. So. Ivan Raffowitz, Minnesota keyboardist, producer. Thanks so much for being in the Mark Sterey Music Podcast. It's been just a blast getting to know you. Uh, best of luck with everything. Best of luck to your son. And uh, thanks for letting me in your beautiful studio here and being on the show.
1: Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure uh, to be here. And uh, nice talking to you.
0: Yes. We'll see you later, Ivan. Thank you so much.